0: Morning. Morning. That's great video. <laughs> nice intro. How y'all doing? Pretty good. Great. great day, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, you know, bit about Good Friday and Easter. What a what a great time we had between Good Friday and and Easter Sunday. We had uh, twenty nine hundred people here. Uh, so that that's exciting. And what really Means the most to me is here. How many of you invited? Uh, your five for the city uh, to come, and uh, I know that's why we, you know, we had the number of people that we did with us on Easter. So, thank you, thank you, all the volunteers. I mean, we could not have done what we did over that last weekend without every, every so many of you uh, being willing to step up and uh, and to serve. And um, you know, I done the carnival, and uh, boy, what a great way to get some hours serving. A uh, lot of fun, and so I encourage you to check out all the different opportunities for, for serving. If you were a, a guest with us last Sunday, and you've come back again today, thank you. Our privilege to have you join us, and uh, just so I want to let you know what um, what we're about here at Brookside this year. Many of us have taken on the challenge to read through the Bible in uh, 2016. And uh, we're calling it 365 because we not only have the goal of reading through the Bible, but we also have made added to it the goal of reading through the Bible every day. And I'm, I've, I've uh, um, personally set a new record in my life this year. And uh, I'm just going to share it as I've actually not missed a day yet. and. Uh, so it's really, really kind of, uh, really fun to uh, see that happen, and I think uh, I think it's April 9th. I, I reached day 100, and um, so I'm going to stay the course and encourage you uh, to to do the same. Because just something about every day, it just kind of is, has this building effect uh, that uh, it's, you just can't experience unless you unless you do that, uh, and really. Uh, so here, here, just if you're new to all this and what we're doing to this point, uh, we've we read the first eight books of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis all the way through the book of, book of Ruth, and then on the week before Easter, we uh, stepped out of the Old Testament to New Testament, we read the, the Gospel of Mark, and I heard so many of you say, you know, that was just a really good deal, I'm glad you've d- you did it that way. Uh, give us a chance to really focus on, on Jesus Christ leading up to Good Friday and Easter. And, I, you know, personally, I decided I'm going to do that every year. And the book of Mark is really a perfect book to do it because you can read it in, in one week and you get this complete picture of, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry. So, uh, and, and I would just say, if, um, if you're new to Brookside and, or you've hesitated up to this point uh, to uh, join us, on our 365 journey. Boy, I'd love to have you uh, become a part of this. And uh, <clears throat> you get, uh, all you have to do is go online, find out everything you need to know, just press the icon 365 or you can go back to Connection Corner after this service and ask you know, questions you have, pick up a hard copy of our reading plan which we also have online. And I mean, in a way this is a really good point to jump on uh, because we're we just started in, in uh, 1 Samuel, we're back in the Old Testament, and uh, so it's, you know, give it, give it a thought, okay? So on Monday of this week, we did, we stepped back into the Old Testament in 1 Samuel, uh, which is one of several books that gives us the history of Israel, and it's named after this prophet Samuel, who was used by God, along with uh, many other prophets, to really give people God's word, and specifically for, for Samuel... He was God's prophet who, who uh, really came in and, and began leading the people at a point when they really needed godly and strong leadership. In fact, he, he led them out of what we, you know, that the craziness that we, and the anarchy that we all saw, if, we, if you read through the book of Judges. Samuel led them out of that. And I got to tell you, every, every time I read the book of Judges, my feeling when I'm all done is, man, I'm glad I'm done. That is just crazy book uh, from one end to the other. Kind of reminds me a little bit of an election this year, you know. Uh, but anyway, like anarchy going on right now. Um, so Samuel, all the way through his life, from a very young man till he's an older man, is leading the people of Israel in a really good way, until finally, as he's older, the, the people begin to, are, are beginning to say to him, we want a king. And so if, you've, if you're on our journey, you would have read this last week how, how Samuel uh, anointed Saul. Saul was uh, the, the man who became the first king. And at the beginning, everything uh, went well for him, but then rapidly deteriorated. Saul just went south, you know, in his attitude and his behavior and what he did. And, and, uh, and so God, God decides that he's going to reject him as Israel's king. And he tells Samuel that he's to anoint someone to take to take uh, Saul's place. And so that really uh, begin, uh, brings us to the chapter that we're going to look at this morning, which is the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel. And it's the second sermon in a five-week series that we've titled, Everybody Wins. And the thing that's uh, kind of unique that Jeff and I are doing right now is that this five-week series is one that's being preached in 35 other churches in our city with the title Everybody Wins. And we're not we're not preaching the same sermon, all, all these different churches and different pastors, but we're preaching sermons that have the same theme, the theme of Everybody Wins. And I'll just be really honest with you. At first, when I heard that title, I thought, I don't know if I like that. It sounds a little cheesy to me, you know, like, yeah, everybody wins. What what are we t- talking about here? But if you if you understand the really win in the way it should be, a true win, what we're talking about today, I think it's a great title for this series because the win we're talking about is becoming, becoming the person that God created you to be, where you're living a life that honors God and a life that's not all about yourself, but a life where you want to help other people and serve other people. So this morning, we're going to look at a subject that I believe is relevant to all of our lives, wherever we're at in our spiritual journey. You might be here today and uh, years ago you landed as far as what you believe about God and faith. And uh, you, you're convinced that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that he died for your sin and he was resurrected from the dead. You're, you're totally on board with being a follower of Christ. Or it might be that you're here today and you're doing, you're doing the really good thing. You're, 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 you're still asking the questions. You, you, you would say, Steve, I, I haven't landed yet. But I, wanna, I want some answers to the questions that I'm asking. I'm still on that journey. I'm still, I'm still, in a sense, kicking the tires to see what it is that I believe. And if you are and you're here today, I just say, I just respect that so much that you've come and you're, because you're asking these questions. But I would just say for all of us, wherever we're at, Apply what, what we, you can learn, what I can learn from today's scripture, and it makes all the difference in how you live life, and here's why. First of all, what we're going to talk about gives you the right frame of reference by which to determine your own sense of, of worth, your own self-worth, what to base it on, and then what we're going to talk about gives, gives to us the, uh, the, the right motivation for what you, what you do and what you do not do, which I believe has always been key, uh, key for a person to have true success in their life. We're in the You come to the end of your life, and you, you, don't, you don't come to the end of it with a sense of emptiness and wondering, man, what was this all about anyway? But instead, you finish with the confidence that you lived life well, and you lived for the right reason, and, and you lived in the right way. So that's what we're talking about today. I thought about this, and I'm convinced this is more important than ever, in a culture that is so obsessed with, with the external, what you, what you can only see with your eyes, whether it's a, a person's physical appearance or their abilities, their talents or, or their success or their wealth or their credentials or, or their social status or their influence of other people. What, whatever it is, there, there, there is so much pressure these days on the external. And as wonderful as technology is, I would say it's even put more pressure on people these days, with things like Facebook. I mean, I even uh, recently heard of someone who said, you know what, I just got to take a break from Facebook because it's just putting too much pressure on me. I look at what all these other people are doing, and it just seems so perfect and wonderful, and I'm just not living up to it, and so I just got to take a break, you know? And I don't know if anybody uh, relates to that or not, or you've, you've ever felt that way. And, and then advertising. I and mean, we get the Wall Street Journal, and once a month we get this magazine on, on Saturday. And I look at the advertising in that magazine at the people that, that's, that are being advertised. And I, go, I I said this yesterday. I go, where do they find these people? You know, they, like they're perfect, you know, like perfect, just absolutely perfect. Uh, all external. All perceived, you know, and, I mean, it's just not real. So often, it's just it's just image that is being thrown at us over and over again. So here's what I'd like us to see this morning. Really, it's this: with God, what matters is who you are on the inside. Okay, what matters is who you are on the inside, and that brings us to uh, chapter 16, 1 Samuel, uh, where God is uh, God has rejected Saul as as Israel's king. And he sends Samuel to Bethlehem to, to anoint one of Jesse's sons, Jesse who lives in Bethlehem to anoint one of his sons as the next king. And so Samuel's in Bethlehem and uh, just, by the way, he, he does this sort of undercover because he's already told Saul that he's in trouble with God, that that. God's rejected him. And so Samuel knows that if Saul finds out who's gonna be anointed the next king, that guy's gonna be a target. Saul's gonna Saul kill him, because Saul's become a bad guy. All right, so he's, he's preparing this sacrifice. He, he's coming there. Everybody's thinking he's he's coming there just to do this sacrifice. And Jesse and his sons arrive, and this is where we pick up the story, okay? Verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. Eliab was one of Jesse's sons. In fact, he was the oldest. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointing stands here before the Lord. Lord. So he said, man, that's got to be the guy. Okay? Then we we find out why. Next verse. This is our key verse, actually. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance. That is how, you know, how good-looking he is. Or his height, how big he is. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. Now, here's the deal. You've got Jesse. He brings all these sons he's got, and they're all standing there. And Samuel looks at Eliab, and he makes this assumption that Eliab's got to be the guy. In fact, it doesn't tell us, but probably one of the reasons is he, he probably knew that it had already been made known to him that Eliab was the oldest, and back then the oldest always got first dibs. Okay, whatever good deal was coming down. Okay, but the, but the thing that he really really based it on uh, on was how how this guy appeared. Eliab looked, how, you know, he was like tall, dark, and handsome. He was like Camelot. He was like the way anybody anybody would think every any leader should look: large, big, strong, and and really really good good looking. That that's where he was at. Okay, that's what he based it on. I don't know if you. No, not, but up until modern history, the size of a leader was very important. For example, remember the movie Braveheart? Mel Gibson played uh, William, um, uh, William Wallace. William Wallace was the, the great Scottish hero of the Battle of Stirling Bridge, the, the first war of Scottish independence that was actually fought on September 11th, 1297. And, and historians believe that, that Wallace was a really big, tall guy. In fact, they, they believe that he was six and a half feet tall, at least. And, the, and they base it on the sword that they still have, that he had, that was five and a half feet in length, which back then was the a- average height of a, Of most men back then, so this guy was like a whole foot taller than everybody else, so it's easy you know he could just mow everybody else down in battle. Okay, very appealing to people back then. have a big king could lead him in battle. But you know the truth is, size and size and looks still matters today, even in a, even in an American presidential election, I recently watch a documentary uh, on the 1960 election. Anybody else here for the 1960 election? I was nine years old when that was gone, hardly aware of it. But, But the documentary was when Richard Nixon and John Kennedy were opposing candidates, and it was a very, very close contest where every event mattered, how well each one of them did. Anybody else ever see this? Many historians, many historians believe that Kennedy won the election because of the first televised debate that they did. I mean, it's a fascinating story. I mean, already Kennedy was a, I mean, he's a good-looking guy, and Richard Nixon was pretty average. But here's what they did. Kennedy's team was smart enough to say, you've got to come to this thing well-rested. So he spent a week in Florida before it. And so here he is, he's well-tanned, he's well-rested from from a week in the the sun. And on the other hand, Nixon was recovering from a knee injury and from doing what all of his advisors said he shouldn't do. He was determined that he was going to do this whistle-stop tour of all 50 states of the United States. And so he just went from one to the other, to the other, to the other, and he was just a worn-out guy. Now, first of all, Kennedy, very telegenic, is very uncomfortable inco- in front of a camera, and so he's got all this going for him, and he came across everybody as a confident and commanding leader, whereas Nixon was nervous. Everybody could tell he was nervous. He was sweating like crazy under hot lights, and I guess they couldn't even find a makeup artist to make him look better. So everybody, he came across as unsure and uncertain, all to say some things don't change, all right? So as the story goes, Jesse runs the next six of his sons past Samuel, and it's like like Samuel has this conversation with God. Is he the one? No. How about him? No. 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 Just goes through the whole thing, and that's it. And Samuel's confused because he's, he thought God told him that one of Jesse's sons was going to become the king. And so Samuel says to Jesse, is that all? Is that all of your sons? And Jesse says, let me ask you, let me just ask you. Anybody else here the youngest in your family? Anybody? What is it about us youngest? You know, it's like, they, like oh, yeah, Jesse goes. Yeah, I've got one more. You know, he's, he's off watching the sheep. And so I love this from Scripture. We read this, uh, verse 11, chapter 16. Samuel said, I'm going to add a word, well, send for him, will you? That's why I'm here. And he said, we're not going to sit down until he arrives. We're not, we're not eating until he's here. And so he, Jesse sent for him and had him brought in and he was glowing with health and, and had a fine appearance and handsome features. So he wasn't so bad either, okay? But then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. I mean, talk about a day taking a turn. One minute you're out there by yourself watching some sheep, and the next minute you're standing in front of God's prophet, who is a very intimidating man himself, and he anoints you with oil, and he whispers in your ear, You're the next king. And then I don't know if Samuel or or if David realized it or not, but in that moment we're told that the Spirit of God came down powerfully on him. That's a huge turn of a day. So what was it about David May God made him God's choice as Israel's next leader? Well, it was, was what God saw in his heart. So back to the key verse for today. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's so important to understand about David is that, Those who first wrote scripture saw the heart as the center of a person's will. It holds their deepest convictions. What it is that they value the most is the core of who they truly are. And so God chose David because at the very core of who David was, what he valued more than anything else was his relationship with God. David loved God. It wasn't that David was perfect. It wasn't that David was, was better than, than the, the other seven brothers. We're not told they were bad guys. But what it was is that David just had this a tender heart, a heart where he was, he was truly, sincerely in love with God. It's who he was on the inside. And it's what matters the most. Throughout this year in our 365 Challenge not only are we reading a set of verses, like as we're moving through books of Scripture, but we're also reading one psalm each day. And I don't, I don't know if you realize it or not, if you know it, but David wrote most of the psalms. <laughs> In a way, you could say they're his personal journal. Okay? Okay? And you read each one of those psalms and you discover how much each one reflects the heart of someone who's devoted to God. It, they, they, they help us understand why David, why God chose David. He's, he's someone who got it right on the inside where it mattered the most. Now, I, I, there are certain psalms that are really my, my favorite, but I think Psalm 15 might be my absolute favorite. And I, I, I don't know why, but I, it, it just got my attention years ago. I actually memorized it, and it's short enough that I can review it very easily, quickly, you know, driving a car, whatever I'm doing. But what I love about it for us today is that it shows us how true it is that everybody wins whose life intersects with a person whose heart is right. And the other thing I love about this psalm is that it helps me be objective about myself. You know, it's very hard sometimes. to, Is my heart really the way my heart should be? And what David does in this, in this psalm is he shows what comes out of, out of a heart that is right with God. I just love it. So let's look at this. David begins by asking a question. He said, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? That's That's David's way of asking the question, God, who can have a very close, personal, loving, intimate relationship with you? Who can enjoy fellowship with you, God, A relationship with you? Really important question. And then David, through the Spirit of God, answers his own question. And so he begins with this, he said, first of all, the one whose walk is blameless, and He's not talking about perfection there. What he's doing is he's talking about our heart, what, what truly we are on the inside, OK? He's talking about our character. He's talking about the, a person who lives their life with integrity, so that what you say believe, what you, what you say you believe, lines up with what you do. So it's when your private life matches your public life. It's what you do when nobody else is looking. And then David describes what this looks like. And and I, I just love it because it shows how it's a win for everybody, including the person who is this way. So I just want to talk it through with you very quickly. So first of all, he says, the one who does what is righteous. If your heart's right, I'm just going to say it simply. If your heart's right, you love to do what's right. You want to understand from Scripture the right path for your life, and then you want to walk on that path, and you're not looking for ways to compromise. You don't, you don't excuse or rationalize sinful attitudes or behavior in your life. You don't, you don't pick and choose what you will or will not do. You're not content with good intentions. You expect yourself to act on what you know is right. You live this way, and it's a huge win for everybody. First of all, yourself, because it gives you so much peace and joy, and then everybody else is better for being around you. Second thing David says, if your heart is right, you're somebody who speaks the truth from their heart, speaks the truth. The very core of who you are, you're uncompromising in your commitment to truth. Your, your word can be trusted. You never say less or more than what's factually true. You, you don't pass on information that's based on, on, on opinion or hearsay. You don't, you don't speak half-truths. You don't exaggerate. You Easy see, you to see why everybody wins, right, when the truth is spoken. Same with the next description of a person whose heart is right, and David said, whose tongue utters no slander and casts no slur on others. If your heart is right, you have no interest in hearing damaging information about another person, and you have even less interest in passing on that kind of information. You know what damage slander and gossip can do, and you want nothing to do with it. Let me say it this way, you're a safe person. Other people know that you're never going to say anything that destroys their reputation. Not in the slightest will you do this. Everybody wins. It's also true that David says that a person whose heart is right is someone who does no wrong to a neighbor. No wrong to a neighbor. If your heart's right, you don't take advantage of or mistreat or harm another person in any way. The the very opposite, you only want to do what's best for everybody. And, and, and And if you can help make that happen, you can be counted on to do it. And again, everybody wins. You can be at peace with yourself. And everybody loves having you in the neighborhood, right? If your heart's right, you also have the right heroes and role models. David says this is somebody who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord. You see, really I believe who your heroes are, your role models are, says a lot about what's in your heart, what's inside you, right? Right? When your heart's right, you don't respect wicked people, no matter matter how rich or talented or or powerful they might be. You respect God-honoring people, people who take God seriously, people who love and obey God. It's also true. If your heart's right, then you're going to keep every commitment you make. You do what you promise you do. You Always keep your word. David said it this way. This is somebody who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. What you do and don't do isn't based on convenience. It's based on character. If your heart's right, if you're a man or a woman of integrity, you have the conviction of character to keep your promises even when it costs you. Your word is always good. You can be counted on to do what you say you'll do. Final mark, I love it because I think it's so often it's like a huge test of what's in a person's heart. It involves money. David gives this example. He said, this is someone Lends money to the poor without interest. Does not accept a bribe against the innocent. This this is somebody who who doesn't loan shark, you know? Take advantage of somebody who can't, who is almost unprotected. They're at your mercy. If your heart's right, this is something you'd never do. Truth is, you'd be very opposite. You'd be generous in what you give to others. Once again, I mean, obvious, right? Everybody wins when you're this way. And then David ends this psalm. I mean, it's just like, it was like this psalm was made for what we're talking about today because he ends with the greatest promise that you and I could ever hope to have where, where you're the winner in the best sense of the word. He says, he says, live this way. Everything I've described here, he said, whoever does these things will never be shaken. The picture he gives here is of a rock-solid life, a life that is filled with confidence and security, an unhindered fellowship with God. I mean, it's a great picture any one of us would want to be true of ourselves. I want to think about what this means. If your heart's right, this is what you have. First of all, you have a built-in guide. You're not having to make, you know, in, in the moment, decide, well, what am I going to do or what, what am I not going to do? You've already pre decided what you're going to do. Okay? Second thing is you have constant peace. I don't think, isn't it true? Nobody ever lies in bed at night worrying if people are going to discover that they did the right thing. Get what I'm saying? I mean, you have total peace. You don't have any guilt. You don't ever have to worry that you're going to be found out for doing something you shouldn't have done. And then I love this one. The third one is you gain trust and respect and honor and influence. If you live this way, if your heart's right, other people are going to look to you as a model for for their lives. You're going to be able to influence for good so many other people. I'd say that's a huge win. Everybody. See, I think if you give yourself time to think about it, all of this that we've looked at today, I believe you're going you're to agree that it's easy to see why it's true that with God, what matters is what you are, who you are, on the inside. So to bring this home, I'd like to ask you a question, and I think it's the right question before we share in communion this morning, you know, remembering what Christ did for us. How's your heart? How's your heart? Now, how are you doing on the inside? Is there anything in your heart, in your life that you know you know, isn't right? It might not be any of the things that David listed, like the opposite of them, okay? It might be something else that you just know isn't right, and it's affecting your relationship with God. It's affecting your relationship with other people. There he is. I just want to encourage you. In fact, I would say it's really the thing to do. Before you eat the bread or drink from the cup today, have a conversation with God and just say, God, this is is what's been in my heart and it's wrong. Or it might be here today. You're here this morning and you're saying, man, Steve, all of this stuff is new to me. I came here asking questions. But Steve, one of the things I got to tell you, Man, there's just not one thing that's wrong with my heart. My heart's just dirty all the way through. It's not the way I want it to be. And the good news I got for you today is, man, you can get a new heart this morning. I mean, that's what what Good Friday and Easter are all about. That's why Jesus died for you and for me. It made it possible for God's Holy Spirit. Remember, Remember David? The Holy Spirit came down on David. It's possible for you to have God come and live within you and just clean your heart and make it right. That's like the best news any of us could have. And you know what? All you have to do before we take communion today, in these next few minutes, even as I pray now, you could just pray this simple prayer. God, my heart's dirty. It's full of sin. I need a new heart. And I want to trust in what Jesus did for me, that he died for my sin. Pray that prayer, and it'll happen. It'll happen. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll share in communion, okay? Father, I just thank you so much for your grace. I thank you for loving us. I thank you, God, that you look into our hearts, and you know who we are. You know our need. We need new hearts. We need your forgiveness. Thank you so much for your grace. In Christ's name, amen.